Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, action-packed episode. Might be our fullest episode ever. There's way, way too much to talk about. Uh, we have three films we're talking about this episode. First up, Michael Mann's Ferrari, starring Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz. Incredible. Incredible. Don't believe the hate. This movie's rad. Stick around <laughs> for the review. We're going to talk about the color purple. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Don't believe that now. We're going to talk about the color purple. Solid. Rock solid. We're going to get to it. Uh, and we're going to talk about Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom in a surprise mini review. I have not seen it. Dr. Draper himself has seen it. He saw the first one. He's going to report back. We're excited to talk about it. We're going to talk about our most anticipated films of the year. We got a short list together. Most excited, least excited. Stick around for all that before we get to everything. A ton of news. Andy, there's too much to talk about this week. There's too much going on. Too much. We're here in the we're here in the new year, here in 2024. We got we got a lot to to go on. A lot to tell you. I need you guys, we were looking at the outline, and I thought we should cut stuff, and Andy thought we should cut stuff, and I thought, no, no, we're, we're doing it all. It's all good news. We're just going to keep it tidy. Our first story this week, a disaster at Disney. Horror at the House of Mouse. Uh, Mickey Mouse <laughs> is up in the public domain. Not really, actually. It's Steamboat Willie. You probably heard about this or saw this or saw memes about it. Adult Swim put out a, a gag. Uh, uh, there's been all kinds of jokes about Steamboat Willie now being available for free use as a part of the public domain. Now, the copyrights expired. Andy, uh, what does this mean for movies, right? So general copyright law uh, says after 100 years, a property can enter the public domain. Uh, and that can be a written story, in this case, an animated one. Uh, it's, co it's complicated because as you make different versions, that copyright gets extended. So the Steamboat Willie version of Mickey Mouse, the original 1924, I guess, uh, black and white version, is now public domain. That, that that doesn't mean all versions of Mickey Mouse are public domain or that Mickey Mouse himself or the name is public domain, but that image can and has been used, and that's showing up in the form of uh, a couple of Steamboat Willie-themed uh, horror films. Uh, there's a game out, out there, a video game, that's already using this. Um, so using and abusing. And we're also seeing 1924 is when uh, J.M. Barry's Peter Pan story also becomes public domain. So we know that there's some horror movies based on that <laughs> already happening. Uh, so that's kind of where we are. Uh, we did watch uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey on the podcast. You can go back and check our review from last year. It was one of our most disappointing films of the year. It is atrociously bad. It's very apparent that these like made before the copyright is up just so they can capitalize as soon as possible projects are exactly that. They're not art for art's sake. They're just made to make a dollar. Uh, they're pretty shameless. They're pretty terrible. Maybe the Steamboat Willie movie will be something, but I'm definitely not going to see Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey too that's for sure and i can't say there's any merit to whatever this is funny but also don't don't pr pr probably don't <laughs> go see whatever this is right yeah. I mean, we don't we shouldn't support that with our hard-earned dollars um something we should support is benny safty who's now on his own uh, the safty brothers are split up what the directors of uncut gems and good time are doing their own thing this comes out of a report from variety uh earlier this week where they had an exclusive with benny safty uh reporter ethan shanfield here says he like showed up late to the interview and he was in a goofy outfit and he's got nine projects going on between the curse and acting in are you there god it's me margaret and other projects he has been busier than ever 
and apparently he's just doing his own thing. Uh, uh, Josh Safdie, uh, the other brother, is working on another Adam Sandler project where they do doing something with basketball, I think. Um, otherwise, he doesn't know what his brother's doing. We're doing our own things, he says. The Safdie brothers are no more. Uh, Andy, wh- what did you think of Uncut Gems, and how do you feel about this news? Love Uncut Gems. We did absolutely um, review that on the show. Uh, one of the best movies of 2019, I, I believe. And it's a shame we, we only got two movies out of them as, as a group, but they're they're proven to be very interesting creatives uh, independently. Benny Safdie was, he, he was in this summer's Oppenheimer. Like you said, he was in the uh, long title, It's Me, Margaret. <laughs> um, there comes me, and, Margaret, yeah. Uh, he has he has a, a leading role or pretty important big role in the curse uh, on Showtime and Paramount. And if you haven't seen that, uh, please check that out for the, the cringe the cringe of the year uh, kind of show. Uh, it'll be exciting to to see what he does, what the Safety brothers do, kind of independent of each other. Yeah, like like I was under the impression that that new Adam Sandler feature was being created by both of them, and apparently everybody else was too. He explains in this Variety interview, like, nope, nope, that that's just been press rumors. Like, I I don't really have anything to do with that. Don't don't know what's going on with it. And it's like, oh okay, like we all thought this is going to be the uncut gems follow up. Instead, now it's only going to be one brother, and the other one's doing his own thing. Something that is interesting coming out of this though, apparently he's going to be working with Dwayne Johnson in Johnson's first A twenty four feature. The Rock is coming to A24, another big piece of news on the podcast this week. I'm telling you, this is only like half of it. we got a ton to get to. <laughs> we got, uh, we got yes, a lot. Yes, uh, The Rock yeah. announced uh, in conjunction with Benny Safdie in this interview that he's going to be in an A24 feature. It's untitled. We don't know a lot about it other than who's directing, Benny, and who's in it, Dwayne Johnson. But he's excited. He's looking forward to pushing past a point in his career that he hasn't been before. He wants to make films that matter, that explore humanity and explore struggle and pain. It's a quote from the man himself, Andy. Uh, good move for Dwayne Johnson. A twenty four features high art. What do you think? I think it's the only move for Dwayne Johnson at this point. Uh, the Rock used to be a box office powerhouse. He could put out the most mediocre action film, and everyone would go see it, including me. That's not a dig at him. He just he was King Midas for a while. Everything he did at the box office was a huge hit, and then he's had some some struggles. Most recently with uh, Black Adam uh, from last summer, twenty twenty two. Big Bomb was supposed to completely turn DC around. It absolutely did not. That's when they eventually just moved on with James Gunn. Uh, no one wants to work with him. Apparently, he's very dif- difficult to work with uh, between DC and the Fast and the Furious franchise. So now he's got to look at things differently. He's been going back to WWE, and and it's like it seems like his opportunities are kind of drying up a little bit. And so he's he's having to rebrand. And going indie is definitely one of the ways to do that. Andy's being humble. He had a really good point right before we started recording. And I was like, save that for the show. Uh, that uh, The Rock is premiering like in, in WWE again, like while Iron Claw is leaving theaters. And it's like, it's weird that, yeah, there's like this elevated uh, kind of high art approach to wrestling in like a, a, a niche A24 feature. And meanwhile, like The Rock, who is such a part of wrestling, as a lot of us understand it, like is back on pay-per-view and it's like yeah i'm sure part of him wants that he wants that smoke and and andy's right like it's kind of the only move dude i think it's a great idea this is a perfect pivot for a rebrand for him like get into something a bit more serious and really go for it i i said earlier that i didn't know what the project is they're working on but actually variety's got it here uh dwayne johnson gonna be starring as the mixed martial arts champion mark kerr in a, in a project called the smashing machine based on uh the book the smashing machine the life and times of extreme fighter mark 
Kerr, a mixed martial artist. So fitting, right? Big dude, physical, why not? Like probably have some heat on it, maybe a little like pain and gain. Old Michael Bay feature we covered on the show. Yeah. Um, Put the physique to work. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Big and imposing. Why not? And, you know, honestly, we've talked about it before. Like, if John Cena can do it, I, I think there's space for The Rock to make a space for himself, like, in in entertainment. There, there's there's a place for him. Uh, speaking of places, Tom Cruise is going to Warner Brothers. Insane L for Paramount this week. Insane. This was announced just before the show, uh, just before we started recording. And for what it's worth, I don't think he's actually leaving Paramount. Andy, what do you what do you know about this Warner Brothers story? So just announced earlier today, Tom Cruise and WDD, WBD uh, CEO David Zasloff, um, who has generally made really poor decision after really poor decision, might have actually made a good one here in recruiting Tom Cruise over to Warner Brothers to do uh, both in, independent, original, and franchise films for them. We we don't know what the nothing, no movies have been announced, but uh, he's got a film de- deal with to do multiple pictures with Warner Brothers. And Tom Cruise has never really been with a studio, not the way that like. Um, Christopher Nolan was with Warner Brothers before going over to, to Universal. Uh, Tom Cruise has always just kind of been independent, and he's worked with a lot of studios, but he he's never really struck deals like this uh, just because he could kind of work out of freedom. And he still has it. He still will be working with other studios. Um, Paramount still owns the rights to uh, Mission Impossible and uh, Top Gun. So, you know, those franchises are locked down over there, but they're going to be doing some new stuff with uh, Warner Brothers. So if we'll have to do some sleuthing, look back at their IP catalog and see what he could potentially potentially do. Maybe he'll show up in a DC movie. Warner Brothers Discovery put out a press release for this, and they've actually got a good lineup of Warner Brothers projects Cruise has starred in in the past. Here's what they are. Uh, with Warner Brothers, Cruise created Edge of Tomorrow, Rock of Ages, The Last Samurai, Eyes Wide Shut, Interview with a Vampire, Risky Business, The Outsiders, and New Lines, Magnolia. Big fan of that Eyes Wide Shut, too. It's got to happen. Like, I think Nicole Kidman could come back. They get the people in the masks. It'd be great. Uh, I think this is a weird move, but it makes sense given where things are. Like, Top Gun seems to be kind of on the back burner for now. I don't know when they're doing another one of those movies. Meanwhile, like, we have another Mission Impossible coming out, but Dead Reckoning Part 1 didn't do all that good. And it seems like Mission Impossible is kind of supposed to be wrapping up anyway. So both of those are kind of... Entering a stage of possible pause, you know, he's got to have something else to go to. And Tom Cruise is uniquely like this odd sort of movie star, like in a time when there aren't many of them, you know, like him just being in a feature is enough of a draw that people will want to go check it out. Not always, right? You get your Jack Reacher on occasion, but like you put him in cinemas, you give him a bucket of popcorn, like people are going to want to watch. So great for WB. I don't know how they did it. I couldn't tell you how much money they gave him. I mean, it sounds like he's getting his own side of the back lot where his production studio is going to do their own thing. I'm sure that creative control is a big part of things for him. Uh, so I don't know. Like I, I, an odd move, but why not? Right? Like why, why shouldn't he be making pictures at Warner brothers? Um, they don't have to pay, they don't have to pay Christopher Nolan anymore. Why, why, why can't they afford Tom Cruise? <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll see exactly what what this comes about. I'm very interested to know what films he's going to make exactly. Like I said, that might be pre-existing properties we've heard of. It might be something totally new. We have no idea. Uh, but the WB catalog is quite deep. Maybe he'll show up in the Matrix. That'll be That's my true. new thing. Cruise in the Matrix. 
That's right. The, yeah, from the studio that created Space Jam, right? Space Jam, A New Legacy comes literally anything we can throw up the screen. Uh, a couple more stories this week before we move to Ferrari. Um, a new Star Wars film has been announced. This got announced today, the day we're doing this show. Only the hottest up-to-date news on Oscar Film Review for you. Uh, Star Wars announces new movie, quote, The Mandalorian and Grogu from director John Favreau. A- Andy, have you had time to read this story today? Because I'm happy to dish on the details uh, of you. Y- y- uh, y- yes, I was able to glance over most of it. Um, yes, uh, John John Favreau, who's um, uh, of course directed some of the titular, actually Marvel properties like the original Iron Man, has been tapped to make this new Star Wars movie called, at least right now, uh, working title The Mandalorian and Grogu, who of course follows the Mandalorian TV show and the and Baby Yoda, as we know him. <laughs> um, and they're going to be doing a film, and this is, I guess, independent of uh, an, a different kind of Man- Mandalorian-verse film that Dave Filoni is supposed to be working on. Uh, this was, I think, what was going to be season four of The Mandalorian. It's just going to be this film. But we, what we know is just as these Star Wars titles are announced, like in like six months a year, it might be canceled. Uh, there have been so many announced and canceled Star Wars projects. Uh, you don't know what to trust anymore. The only other one is the kind of whatever new Daisy Ridley feature carrying forward. So we'll see if this actually comes to pass. I liked Star Wars for a really long time. I want to be clear before I just jump in and say what I think of this feature. Uh, I I considered myself a fan for a really long time of, of certain parts of Star Wars. I think I still do. But I think like many of us, like I think we've been... Many of us have been conditioned to expect Star Wars to be a little diluted now, right? There will be a few shows on Disney+, Plus, and you probably don't have to keep up with the movies because they're not in theaters, but you better know who Ahsoka is because they've got, she's going to show up in The Mandalorian Season 2, and then she's getting her own show, and Book of Boba Fett is its own thing, and you better have watched Obi-Wan, and what's going on with Andor? And it's all a lot, right? So when we make this jump from The Mandalorian Seasons 1, 2, and 3 to Boba Fett to this now, I guess... And you just call it the Mandalorian and Grogu. I think it leaves a lot of space for people who maybe aren't as caught up to dunk on the name a little and dunk on the idea a little. Like, okay, I, I, I do I have to go watch those shows to keep up with what's going on here? It just, it just, it just, you know, Andy. It feels like some of us are getting a little left behind by the franchise. Do, do you feel any sentiment towards that idea? Because it just feels I mean, like too much, man. They are a. Tr- totally ignoring the failures of recent Marvel. Like one of the problems with the Marvel, the MCU at the moment is that people are saying it kind of feels a lot like homework. You have to have watched a a bunch of stuff prior. And like there's, if this follows three seasons of TV plus the other, like Ahsoka or the book about like, you're talking about five or six seasons of TV. You need to watch before watching this movie. What are we doing here? That's not going to bring people in. That's not going to be exciting. Also like to me, star Wars has always meant like Jedi and lightsabers. And and, like, that's what I want to see. I don't, I don't want to see the Sesame street (laughs) level stuff. Dude. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait to watch a non-communicative puppet say nothing for 90 minutes while Pedro Pascal runs around in a helmet, getting a paycheck. Like, it's fine. I shouldn't be so cynical. I I get it. Star Wars is made for kids, totally. But, like, boy, I just, I'm not stoked about this one. This doesn't get me excited. I I was more interested in, like, the Daisy Ridley feature than I was about this. And I know Dave Filoni's still doing his own thing with Ahsoka, and that's great. But, like, I just, man, I just feel like I'm. I'm I'm aging out of Star Wars. I'm too old. I gotta I gotta go become a Star Trek fan. I guess that's that's the only natural extension. Uh, my de- I dude, I got 
I got some Star well, Trek fans in my life. Oh my god. Yeah, real quick, I just want to say I remember reading an article where in like 1999, whenever the uh, the Phantom Menace came out, Star Wars was essentially the biggest entertainment property at the time. You know, like no one else got a bigger budget, did bi bigger actions and special effects, and it was the biggest thing. And then just a few years later, we got Harry Potter, we got Lord of the Rings, and now all of a sudden, like Star Wars wasn't the biggest property out there. And that was back in the early 2000s. And now 20 years later, it's like there's so many more properties that are just as big, if not bigger. You know, we we have things like Game of Thrones. We have things like Dune. We we have those kinds of, of big things. I mean, the MCU and the, you know, Star Wars is kind of fallen by the wayside. It hasn't changed with the times very well. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't. I, again, again, like, I feel like an old man shouting at clouds, right? I'm, I'm like, guy, guy on his porch screaming at children to get off his lawn. Like, am I out of touch? No, surely it's it's the House of Mouse who is wrong. Keep it here for more on Star Wars. We'll talk about it again. But uh, one more story we got to bust through before we get to Ferrari. Like I said, action packed show this week. We got to talk about the Golden Globes. And the Golden Globes happened, right? Like, we got to talk about the Golden Globes. This is a movie podcast. So we'll move through these quick. I swear we're not going to spend too much time on these things. They're not exactly the Oscars, but still, maybe a good bellwether of what's to come. I think we should probably start with winners, move into snow. Nubs, uh, Andy, do you want to kick us off here? How do you want to? How do you tackle these? Okay, well, we're just going to stick with the uh, the winners and go go from there. Not talk too much about the nominees. Yeah. Uh, best best motion picture drama went to Oppenheimer. Um, a big front runner. Sometimes the Golden Globes are indicative of how the Oscars will go. Sometimes they're the exact opposite. So we don't really know. But the, it, the choices all around have been pretty good for this big winner. Not a surprise. Other things could have won like Killers of the Flower Moon or that's that was basically the only other uh big one in that category. <laughs> what what, what, what were yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah what are your only, thoughts? The only other weird one. Uh no, I I agree. Why not put give it to Oppenheimer? I was surprised to see best motion picture musical or comedy going to poor things. Poor things is too weird, I said when we were doing our predictors. I was like, they're gonna give it to Barbie. Of course it won't go to poor things. Poor things is too weird. I didn't think holdovers was gonna get it. May December is too weird, but here we go. Yorgos Lanthimos pulling one out. Yeah, um, Poor Things is, is surprising to me as well because, I mean, I think Barbie easily could have won or the holdovers. Um, not a lot of people have seen Poor Things, and that's part of, like, when it comes to award season, you got to get an audience. You got to get people buzzing and talking about your film. And of all of these, the nominees, Poor Things is probably not the one talked about the least, but I, I'm mm. glad to see it win. Yeah. Moving on to uh, Best Animated Motion Picture, we went to The Boy and the Heron, uh, which we just reviewed a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Miyazaki, out of nowhere, I I'm a little su surprised at this um, because it is kind of a divisive film. It's much more challenging than a lot of uh, Miyazaki's work, and this beat out other things like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Elemental, Suzume. Um, so really surprised, but also um, happy for him to win. Also very surprised. Again, too weird. I was like, nah, it's too weird. They're going to give it to Super Mario Brothers or Spider-Man, like obviously. Uh, cinematic and box office achievement went to Barbie, which is a new category for the Globes this year. We were skeptical about this on the show when we did predictions. We were like, well, if it's box office achievement, I think Barbie made more money than all of those things, so probably that one. And it turns out it was right. Actually, I think I'd predicted Taylor Swift maybe to get it, but no, didn't, didn't happen. The Eras Tour did not nab the box office achievement award. Bummer. Yeah, that that's a really strange award because they they didn't quantify or qualify what box office achievement means because it it wasn't just who earned the most in this case it was that's who the winner was but they just didn't 
tell you what the rubric was, you know, in a, a lot of ways, the Taylor Swift eras tour is incredibly successful because it's the highest grossing concert film of all time. It was, you know, made for a fraction of the cost. So it's a, it's a, it's a big success in its own right. But the, again, they didn't, it's a weird category. They didn't really tell us how, how to, what the rubric was. Best motion pic picture, non-English language. This went to Anatomy of, the, of a Fall, which we have uh, reviewed here on, on the show about the the whodunit uh, starring Sandra uh, Huller. This is, again, indicative of that it might be the big winner for uh, the Oscars, or it might be in kind of the main best picture uh, category. We'll, we'll uh, have to wait and see. But uh, nice to see that win take a win. Yeah, I think fans of the show might be surprised that Past Lives didn't get it. Uh, that one's getting a bunch of buzz from A24 this year, but also Society of the Snow from Netflix uh, was on there, which I haven't seen, but I've been hearing things about this week. Might have to get around to watching that soon. And Zone of Interest is, of course, uh, another exciting one, but nobody's seen it. It hasn't come out It hasn't come out in enough places, I think. Uh, best per yeah. performance by a male actor in a motion picture drama goes to Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. Why not? Those cheekbones could do anything, right? Man looks like a ghost. Like, why shouldn't he get it? I, I think one of the big bellwethers for whether or not somebody is truly putting on a great performance is if you just lose them in the role. You just forget you're looking at Killian Murphy. And while there were a few performances this year that accomplished that, like, few, I think, did it so well. Why Why wouldn't it be Killian Murphy or Oppenheimer? Like, man man just becomes Jay Robert right there on screen. Yeah, that that's the big standout. I mean, I think the only other competition would have been DiCaprio for Killers of the, of the Flower Move. And that's not... A really a role that people have been talking about as much as Killian Murphy. So nice win by him. And then in the best performance by female actor went to Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, who a lot of people say is a lock for the Oscar the, this year. Glad to see her win this year. She's been winning a lot of other things. And I think she might be the first kind of indigenous person to win a Golden Globe. Yeah, tough category. She did fantastic. Best performance by female actor in motion picture, musical, or comedy goes to Emma Stone for Poor Things. I can't believe she beat Margot Robbie for Barbie. Again, I thought Poor Things is too weird. I love her in Poor Things. She's great. We covered Poor Things on the show, but it's weird. And I was like, ah, people don't like weird. They're not going to go for it. Nope. Walks away with it. I can't believe it. Yeah, again, of, of everything mentioned, that's probably the, the film people have seen the least. Um, she's incredible in that, and I definitely won't want to see that again uh, before the, the Oscars. Going on to Best Performance by Male Actor, Musical or Comedy, goes to our boy, our man, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, uh, who's definitely one of my favorite performances of the year. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. Glad to see him take that home. And there were some great pictures of him eating it in and out with his Golden Globe, uh, which yeah. I, I thought was uh, just really charming. Somehow so perfectly, Giamatti. I'm going to scoop up Best Supporting uh, Actor and Actress in, in any motion picture in one category because they're pretty similar. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer and Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. Both take it. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Oppenheimer, he's incredible, right? Strauss is only in really the last half of the movie because Oppenheimer doesn't even think about him that much. But meanwhile, Strauss is focused on the guy like a laser on a target. It's great. Uh, and, and Divine Joy Randolph is understated and fantastic in the holdovers worth checking out for sure good for her uh, and maybe a good a good preview of what might be coming in the oscars i think you got some good picks for talent in there yeah uh, again the conventional wisdom is that downey robert downey jr has it for might have it locked for the oscars so nice to see him win here uh dave i enjoy randolph uh again everyone's basically 
kind of saying that she's going to win the Oscar as well. There's different categories of Oscar wins. There's like the legacy award for someone who's has a large, impressive body of work and has done a lot for the industry. There's the discovery Oscar where you've discovered an incredible uh, talent and that's Dave on Joy Randolph is, would be that, that winner because uh, she's largely done comedic roles and does this in, incredible serious role in uh, the holdovers. And also funny when she needs to be best director, motion picture, uh, went to Chris Nolan. This is uh, not separate categories, just one big category. Again, with Opp Oppenheimer Heimer winning a lot, not surprising. This might be the year for, for Chris Nolan at the Oscars. Yeah, it could be, which would be bananas. It's hard to think. It's hard to believe he doesn't have one yet, right? Like you just think of Nolan's work. You think, oh, yeah, for sure. But no, that didn't happen. Maybe. Uh, the last three, I'm just going to wrap them up real faster. Best screenplay of motion picture goes to Anatomy of a Fall, Justin Triad and Arthur Harari. Best original song goes to What Was I Made For for Barbie. Remember, Barbie had three picks on the best original song list this year. So, hey, rock solid, all good. And best original score goes to Ludwig Orenson for Oppenheimer, which, uh, listen, that Oppenheimer score is solid. Low key though, that Boy in the Heron score from uh, Joe Joe Hisashi, solid, real good. I've been listening to that on Spotify. Might have to put it on the unofficial soundtrack list. Rock solid overall. What do you think, Andy? Good bellwether for the. I can't stop saying bellwether. I've said it like four times this show. Good good barometer. Good indicator for the Oscars. Where where are you at? I think a much better. Uh much better representation than a lot of times these awards usually have. But the thing is, there's always snubs. There's always su surprises. Uh, May, December didn't win anything. Maestro didn't win anything. Ferrari wasn't really nominated for much. So we'll see how that changes when the Oscars are announced in, in a couple of weeks. Um, I, I, there was too many songs. They, they nominated like eight songs for this. L love to see that we saw uh, Ludwig Gorenson win. Uh, my favorite score of the year so far is pro probably goes to Poor Things. I really love that. And well, actually, Daniel Pemberton's Spider-Man Spider Across the Spider-Verse, also good. So yeah. I, th I think a good good year at the Golden Globes, minus a, a disastrous monologue and emceeing job by a quote-unquote comedian, Joe, Joe Coy. Yeah. I haven't actually seen any of it. I've just seen memes, so I'm not I'm – not, I'm sure it's as terrible as I've heard, though. Boy. Uh it's great when the whole internet dunks on somebody. Anyway, uh, we should move on. My God, this has been the longest news segment ever. We're going to act like the Globes was its own separate thing, but it's fine. We got to talk about our first review because we got this and then we got the color purple and then we got Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom at the end of that. So we're going to move through it fast, but I'm excited to be taking the summary on this. Please excuse my clumsy delivery. The movie is Ferrari. So Ferrari is the story of Enzo Ferrari's auto empire in crisis, or really not even his auto empire, but more his personal life. Set in the summer of 1957, Adam Driver plays Enzo Ferrari, uh, the leader of the Ferrari Corporation that is in trouble. They need money. They need to just make more cars. They need to sell more cars. They need to generate buzz to sell more cars because they are running out of cash. It's 10 years after the war and things are not going good at home. Enzo Ferrari's wife, played brilliantly by Penelope Cruz, is torn up and twisted and, and struggling to connect to her husband who couldn't be more distant. Uh, he's got... Another relationship in his life uh, that, that has a whole ball of wax connected to it uh, with a woman played by Shailene Woodley. Uh, he's got to win this big race coming up and his drivers just don't have the guts to cut the corners to beat Maserati. He's, he's, he's got to make something happen. Uh, Adam Driver plays a, a man spinning 12 plates at once. A, a guy who should have said things and meant things a decade ago and kept it to himself and put a wall up because his, his dark and twisted 
twisted passion is racing, something where people die every day and it is incredibly dangerous. Uh, and, and rather than expose himself to that emotion, he walls it off and he pushes people away. And now that his son has passed and his wife is in shambles and his company's about to go under, we meet him and he has to try to figure out how to get out of it. It is a odd sort of feature from director Michael Mann. It is people talking in rooms and I really liked it. Andy, what did you think of Ferrari? So this movie's definitely grown on me uh, the longer I, I've kind of sat with it. And it, it starts a little slow, but it gets better the longer it goes uh, in the movie itself. Um, it starts a little bit as a slow drama, but it picks up um, just the his internal drama with his, his personal life, having multiple w- women and uh, this kind of illegitimate son that it's hidden from the public. That juxtaposed with the need to to race and to win and to be able to sell cars. There's a great line where he says, "You race, you race and win on Sunday. You sell on Monday." And so the racing funds the 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 rest of the car the car business, and he he's all about. The, this what he calls the their terrible passion um he loses a driver early on in, in a car wreck he said all right pay the widow and get the next driver like he he doesn't care he it's all about the racing and he wants to be surrounded with people that are all about it really great performance a stunning performance from penelope cruz and adam driver hitting j- just the right note uh, i've compared this to maestro where Bradley Cooper is just trying so hard in that movie. And like, I never really learned much about the character. And in, and he just looks like Bradley Cooper in makeup. Whereas this, I totally lose Adam driver in, in the performance. Um, all I see is this character who is ruthless and troubled and problematic, but kind of has a spirit to win at all, all costs. And uh, it really ended up being a lot more riveting than I expected. We mentioned, or I mentioned in our Eileen review uh, from a few weeks back, that Eileen feels like the movie Anne Hathaway like got a script for in 2023. It was like, this one. This is the one I'm going to pour myself into. Like This is the performance I really want to get into. That's what Ferrari is for Driver and Penelope Cruz. Like Both of them are leaning all the way in, tears on screen, reading it like Shakespeare. And the script is excellent from Troy Kennedy Martin and Brock Yates, who worked on things like Cannonball Run and The Italian Job. Like they managed to craft this like fascinating look at this guy. It's not a biopic. Let's get that out in the front. It is not about his whole life. It is about a very narrow window of time. It's one summer. It's like a couple of months. Like it moves through pretty fast. But when we open our film, we get Ferrari like relaxing and being himself before he hops out of bed, throws on his watch, gets himself together, goes to work. And then we meet the man who is a twisted dude. Like things are not going well for Ferrari. Like he and his wife are not speaking to each other. Uh, She knows of his infidelity and is actively aware of it, but they treat each other like business partners. Like everything is just about money and about connections and what we're doing next with the company. Right. And meanwhile, they have this horrific tragedy that separates the two of them like an ocean, which is the death of their son Dino who passed away from kidney failure I think uh, after the war like the two of them have completely gone their separate ways but still have to work together for the sake of the company which they still do Um, meanwhile like at work Ferrari is watching drivers careen off of of tracks and get splattered onto concrete and their like wives and girlfriends are running up screaming and crying and he's yeah he's like get me another driver like who 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 can I get out here who's got the guts to take the corners the way they need to because my machines are not the problem like he has such a twisted view of like what 
success is and what power is and how to hang on to it that you end up with this like fascinating little family political drama like i was i was super into it man and michael mann i think is able to accomplish this in three effective ways number one a brilliant script right like with 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 actors who just want it who are hungry for it number two uh Good, good setting and lighting, and just solid camera work all around. He's he's got the he's got the resume for it. He's he's more than capable. Number three, dude, I love how dangerous the car scenes are in this. They're wildly dangerous. Oh my god, I would never want to get behind the wheel of one of these things. Every one of them is a death machine, and I love that. Like I I love that that's highlighted. Go see Ford v Ferrari from James Mangold. Yeah, it's dangerous, but there's something cinematic to it. In here, no, dude, it's like a saw trap. Get behind one of the wheel of one of these cars <laughs> and i don't think i've ever seen it that way like i thought that was so interesting to take this thing that people revere and love that the sport and the art of racing and just tear it down to this very infinitesimally small idea that this is a silly thing that people shouldn't be doing and it's incredibly dangerous but here we are and this is what ferrari's life is and this is what he's dedicated to like fascinating it's like a twisted uh, fun house amusement park owner gone wrong a, a, a dark willy wonka like who's 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 given up all everything for the sake of the next thrill crazy yeah really thrilling movie in in the end it takes like i said it takes a while to get going it takes a while to get to the big big race um uh the the big race in this is the uh, mila milan which is uh it's a thousand mile race and uh t- over the course of 24 hours and there's different stops through the through the italian con- countryside but uh it's dangerous no one really wants to do it they're like you know you got a thousand miles of kind of you don't know what the road conditions you, it's impossible to know every turn every every curb every every road you know the road conditions will will change you know people se- tend to die every every year that this race is held um but this is the, this is the one they they have to win again the company's in trouble you got you got to win the races to get in the public eye to get in the newspapers and then sell those cars come uh monday morning so the this the stakes are just so clear and so high and again i'm going to keep dunking on maestro where like i didn't know what that movie was about and this takes a moment in ferrari's life to explore his character and to for us to get to know him and it works yeah really well. like the Ferrari's empire is in crisis, right? Like he needs a financial bailout and he's not going to Henry Ford because he's an American and maybe Fiat will help him. And meanwhile, he's competing with Maserati who just keeps making better cars. And he says, Maserati's drivers are better. I need better drivers. Like there's, there's these really fantastic scenes where in the trailer, the trailer's first trailer is actually built around this. He sits down with all his drivers and he says, you know, imagine you're, you're racing to the corner and there's the other driver from Maserati and you're coming up on it. And one of you has to slow down. He goes, are you, are you a racer? Are you a sportsman? You know, like, are you, are you, are you a man or are you a coward? Like, this is the moment that matters. This is what life is about. It's fascinating. And the man is completely deluded. Like he even says at one point after a tragedy with one of the drivers, because it wasn't my fault. If there's anybody to blame for that driver's death, it's his mom. She's the one who's rendered insecurity. And she's the reason he's hitting the brake like just crazy like just off the wall bonkers but the guy's so imposing driver is just this tall guy with the big shoulders and the suit and the tie and the sunglasses that look cool every time and he just looks vicious and it's this great scene at the end after the events of the movie have happened. I don't want to give it away. It's in the trailer. Uh, uh, uh. Driver says, if Italy's looking for a scapegoat, here I am, full of great lines, this movie, full of fantastic lines. But he says, if Italy's looking for a scapegoat, then here I am. 
You know, like this is if this is what you want me to be, then fine. You know, like I, I don't care, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because I believe in what I'm doing. And it's so great because the thing he believes, the dream he's chasing is so tragically bad. Like it's it's so bad for everyone. Drivers die. His life is falling apart. His son is dead. His wife's not talking to him. Like everything <laughs> has gone wrong and he's racing to the corner like constantly. It's this fascinating little drama. Like I really was spellbound by it. And it's weird. I, I need to mention as we wrap this review up that I feel very unique in this space because I don't know anybody else who really liked it like I did. I was totally into it. The guy I saw it with was like, not for me, dude. Like I do not think <laughs> for eyes for everybody. I think I just happened to really fall for it, man. I don't know. Michael Mann got me, got me under his spell. I, I I was mostly really impressed with the two performances. Uh, again, Adam Driver embodying the this kind of character, this ruthless character, uncaring about the human life in a lot of ways. There's a great, uh, he has this great monologue in the middle of the movie where he's talking to his drivers and, and he's saying, do you know why that driver won the took that turn and the other one didn't he was like when you hit the brake they say screw it i'll die and it's like that's that's the attitude he wants on, on the track the guy who who's gonna press the gas who's not gonna back off who's not who's gonna play chicken until the other guy backs backs off and it's just like that's the drive he ha has to to win in in the races and then uh his personal life is so muddled again he has two women he's got a secret child his um wife uh played by penelope cruz owns technically owns half the company and has half the shares because of some wheeling and de dealing at uh, right after the war or he had to kind of sell get rid of some shares and not having them in his name that this sort of thing and it's coming back to haunt him and again she's having to deal with like this kind of shame and embarrassment of of like him having mistresses of she feels he's responsible for the death of their their son and i mean she's got a couple of just incredible scenes and yeah and then we get to to the racing you know we, we get in these old like 50s cars that that like they look like they go way faster than they should and there's like zero safety like in them or on oh the roads yeah. it's just um kind of terrifying like the racing stuff is done really well I know we should we should we should curb this. Uh, I I like this movie a lot, obviously, but I can't say it's all perfect. Uh, again, it is people talking in rooms. Like if it is five percent racing, maybe like there is not a lot of car action. What's here is really good. Uh, also, a bit of a content warning when I was talking about a driver being splattered on the concrete, like. It's, it's an R-rated feature for sure. Like it definitely an R-rated movie. Like, so just be aware. Um, but what's here is really tremendous. Like a really thoughtful drama. Uh, I think it's great. I think it's great. I, I really like Ferrari. And I don't know many other people that have. And that's okay. I think it'll maybe generate some buzz. I think it may make some honorable mentions at the end of the year. Top 20, top 10 to 2024. We'll see. Um, I think this movie is really cool though. Andy, any other thoughts for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Michael Mann's Ferrari? I think I would to the racing fan. Um, and if you're willing to give it a, a chance, if it sounds like something you'd be into, it definitely is people talking in rooms, but we have some incredible performances from, from our leads, Penelope Cruz and Adam Driver. Um, really intense racing uh, sequences uh, that kind of go on through the last third of the movie. Um, it's a little long. It's a little slow in the beginning, but once it gets going, it really gets going. So I would recommend yeah, same. I think it's super rad. Uh, I think if you like big drama, go check it out. If you like Adam Driver, go check it out. You want to see Penelope Cruz genuinely put out a powerhouse performance, go check it out. Yeah, I think it, I think this movie's cool. It's not for everybody. I, I definitely think people will think it's boring. 
but I don't know, man. Like I, I really got into it. Like it, driver playing this just like twisted shell of a man, like who is trying desperately to keep it together and 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 maintain this presence when like so much is act not only is going wrong, has gone wrong, and has not been resolved. It, it feels like the movie after the movie. Like I think Ferrari is really cool. I think this movie's neat. I'm glad we watched it. This is the kind of bold cinema I think this show's made for. With that being said, we got to move on to our next segment because we got a lot. We got a lot going on this show. We still got two more reviews uh, for The Color Purple and also for Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Before we get to that, one more small segment. Andy, uh, what do you, what do we want to call this? It's time for the death of cinema. So now that we're in 2024, we are going to be going over our most anticipated uh, films of the, the coming year. We It seems like we just did our top 10 of 2023, and we're already uh, we're in the new year. We're looking ahead. We got some big movies coming out in all the seasons, spring, summer, fall. Lots to look forward to. Some less uh, <laughs> excited about, and we'll be going over those uh, as well. So I, I've actually done my list in uh, chronological order, uh, in the order of things coming out. Um, so my probably most anticipated, uh, thing this year is Dune 2. Dune 2, it probably has a subtitle. Um, so excited. It was supposed to come out in the, in the fall, the conclusion to the, what is essentially the first book in the Dune series starring, of course, Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya. Super excited about it. Zach, what's your number one? Number one. How do you feel about it? It's first off, Dune Two is number two. Mickey Seventeen is number one for me. Bong Joon Ho's new feature is supposed to be coming out at the end of March. I can't believe we don't have a trailer yet. I don't know what the problem is. I, I'm a wor- I'm worried it's going to get delayed, but it's fine. Uh, hopefully, something will happen soon. Dune Two is a close second. Let me tell you, I saw that Dune Two trailer on the big screen in front of Ferrari last night. Like chills, man. It plays so good. That's the energy Star Wars should have when it comes to theaters. Like that feeling I get of like, oh my god, I'm about to see the most incredible thing ever like that's what i wish star wars will have we'll see if the mandalorian and grogu can pull it off what else are you looking forward to well can you tell us a little bit about mickey mickey 17 what is this about no i can't i don't Do know anything know? okay no, okay i know, a little, no, I, I know. I, it is bong joon ho's new feature starring robert pattinson and i know it's a sci-fi and that's about i think i've started seeing a couple bylines but they seem loose like i don't it know remind, I, it's a little bit like moon uh the the Sam Rockwell film with by okay. Duncan, uh, I can't remember his, uh, but I that's like where, yeah. yeah, in Moon, um, w- the main character is essentially a clone on the moon who dies every like three months, and then he's replaced by a clone, and eventually the clone realizes he's a clone and uh, tries to escape, and so it's a similar presence where this is Mickey Seventeen re- refers to the seventeenth version of this uh, this character played by Robert Pattinson. We don't really know a lot about it, but we're super excited to that i'm also excited about challengers which is uh luca guadagnino's film which was supposed to come out last fall but was pushed because of the strikes that of course stars zendaya in a love triangle with uh mike faced and i can't remember the other guy but uh that's the tennis drama definitely looking forward to that oh yeah i think i think challengers is going to be solid i mean big fan of bones and all that was rock solid last year two years ago furiosa right also played in front of uh, um the ferrari Film last night, the trailer for Furiosa ran. Looks great. 
Can't wait. Bit more CGI than I remember from Mad Max Fury Road, but uh, A, there was a lot of CGI in Mad Max Fury Road. I'm just not remembering it. And B, they wrote a whole book about how miserable making that movie was, okay? I don't blame 80-year-old George Miller for wanting to be on a green screen set every other Thursday. I think that's okay. I don't think it'll hurt the movie. I think it'll be fine. I think Furiosa looks great. Can't wait. Also, a lot of my picks, I should say, pretty much past here are almost abstract because they don't have trailers. They've just been announced. So I might have over committed on these last few here but i want to make sure i give them space uh what else you got andy um well one to say i'm super excited about furiosa as well it's up there with dune too as far as what i'm excited about um also ballerina which is the john wick spinoff starring uh Ana de armas uh which comes out this summer we have zero details have not seen uh any kind of footage or trailer but we just know it's gonna it's a spinoff movie possibly a prequel film taken taking place uh in in the john wick world the ballerinas are the kind of uh the russian assassins in the the world of the film so it's going to be involved with kind of that part of the movie super excited about that we'll uh see what that looks like i'm really looking forward to joke joker 2 or joker uh fully i do or however we're supposed to say it whatever the follow-up to uh, uh joaquin phoenix's joker is supposed to be starring also lady gaga as harley quinn people say it's kind of like a musical other people say it's not really like a musical i don't really know what's going on but i'm anticipating it because the last one made a ton of money it's actually funny if you look at like a bar graph of superhero movies the last decade joker is just like this huge tower right in the middle of it like insane amount of profit came from that first joker feature so i don't know what's coming for for todd phillips joker too but i'm anticipating it so that's what i got um super excited about that a lot of people are, are a little not they don't just don't know because it seems too weird you're doing a musical it's joker lady Gaga. but i think man if you're doing a musical and you got lady gaga you, you bet it, how can you mess it up like you it's got to knock it out of the park also looking forward to a quiet place day one which is a, a prequel film of in the quiet place universe uh, kind of created by john krasinski um i can't remember who that that stars but that that's gonna be coming out in june definitely excited about that i'm looking forward to nosferatu in december robert eggers's new feature uh, following the northman originally let me tell you what i had in its place on this list because i'm more excited about it it was whatever jordan peele's untitled next project is which was supposed to come out the same day in december uh that got pushed to 2025 womp womp I guess I'm going to have to settle for Robert Eggers' new feature. But that being said, I like Eggers' just fine, man. Lighthouse rocks. I think that movie's super cool. The Witch rocks. I wasn't super into Northman, but like I would imagine next time I see it, I'll probably be even warmer on it than I was. Like... I think Nosferatu will be cool. Like we've seen a couple screenshots. We know it's already made. Like they're just sitting on it for a year, which kind of sucks. But with Peel's new movie out of the way, uh, this should give it room for IMAX. We'll probably get it on the big screen. Like that's going to be fun. Little, little, little holiday horror next December. Why not? Yeah, I'm super excited about that as well. Love a vampire feature. Love Robert Eggers. Um, can't wait for that. I'm looking for, also looking forward to the bike riders, which uh, was supposed to come out this past fall. Uh, that didn't happen. That's of course the motorcycle dra drama starring uh, Jody Comer, Austin Butler, and within the weirdest accent from Tom Hardy. Uh, that looks uh, like a lot of fun. That's going to be another summer release. Um, we've already talked about Joker, um, Gladiator Two. I'm sure it'll be subtitled something different. Uh, Ridley Scott's uh, follow up to. 2000s gladiator film um starring paul mescal is we don't know in what role but he's he's taking a major role in that um really excited about that yeah 
Uh, I'm looking forward to, again, here comes my odd ones, uh, the new Alien movie. It's supposed to be a new Alien feature off from director Fede Alvarez, who did, uh, what, The Evil Dead? Evil right? Dead, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I We haven't seen any trailers for it, but it's supposed to be coming this year, so maybe Super Bowl you might be getting a trailer for new Alien. That would feel like a big blockbuster or something, maybe even just like a logo reveal. It's supposed to be called Alien Romulus. We'll see. I don't know what it's about, but again, hotly anticipated. I, I can't wait. I like Alien. I, who knows? Might be good stuff. Uh, also, because I know Andy's knocked down some of his list here, uh, Beetlejuice 2? Come on. It's easy to be cynical about Beetlejuice 2, but I I watched Beetlejuice 1 right, 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 right before Halloween, and I'm thinking there's no possible way Beetlejuice 2 can be a good <laughs> movie, so I can't wait to go see for myself what exactly is going on with it. Uh, Lord of the Rings, War of the Rohirrim. This one's, again, announced, not official, probably will get canceled, but if it comes out this year and there's a new Lord of the Rings film in theaters, I will absolutely be paying the ticket to price to go see that. I don't know what it'll look like. I don't know when that's going to happen. We'll see. And lastly, Borderlands from Eli Roth. Did you forget that movie was coming? Oh, yeah. The Borderlands <laughs> video games are getting a film adaptation. And from the very little we've seen, it looks awful. It's been all like caricatures and shadows. I know some of the cast, like, it just does not, it doesn't, it just doesn't seem like it's going to be good. But maybe, uh, maybe, uh, you know, I played those Borderlands games. Maybe I'd like it. Andy, what are you not anticipating? Because I've got well, I've got quite the not in, at least anticipated list here. Before I get into that, I definitely want, am interested in Alien Romulus. Uh, I actually rewatched uh, Prometheus uh, recently, which is a very divisive alien uh, film in that franchise. Uh, but that's one of my favorites. And I'm always excited to delve back into the Alien uh, franchise and lore and even if it's bad it, it's nice to go back but uh who knows maybe it'll great be great um we did put together a list of uh like zach said some least anticipated things that we are not excited to see but probably will for the show uh ghostbusters frozen empire uh this looks like a movie stuck in the 80s this property needs to modernize so bad so bad they, they need a whole new set of characters they need to stop driving the station wagon no one has a station wagon anymore Upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. I think that looks bad. I think it's going to be a bust. I need to like clip the, the Ghostbusters trailer because I, I noticed watching it in front of uh, Ferrari last night. Um, the first half of that trailer isn't a Ghostbusters movie. It's a disaster film trailer. Like everything's going good in New York, summertime in the city, and then this big cold wind blows in and people in Coney Island are like, what's that? And then all like... It's not till halfway through the trailer the Ghostbusters logo shows up. And I'm like, this is a trick. You're tricking people. You're like tricking people into making this look like something that's not what it is. And then surprise, hope you like Ghostbusters because it's a new one of these. It reminds me of the last Indiana Jones 5 trailer. It had the same thing. The first third of that trailer is not a trailer for an Indiana Jones film at all. Yeah. It's Harrison Ford being an old man and being out of touch. And then surprise, the Indiana Jones theme kicks in. It's dubious. It's dubious like musicals are being dubious. Not like it so hopefully a better trailer comes out uh ghostbusters the frozen empire looks fine and i'm a i'm a pretty big ghostbusters fan even i'm not that stoked on something i'm really not stoked on is argyle i know it's easy to dunk on this argyle needs a new trailer dude so bad i've seen the trailer for argyle a million times i don't know why matthew vaughn made a movie about somebody cool 
And then surprise, it's not about them. It's about this schlumpy writer and and probably five years too old to be playing a secret agent, Sam Rockwell, like running around chasing bad haircut Henry Cavill. It just doesn't look <laughs> that fun. There's a CGI cat. Like, I don't know, dude. Maybe Argyle will have some, some smoke because there is some cool looking stuff in that trailer. Matthew Vaughn does great visuals. But boy, I'm just sick of the trailer. I, like, I, I need a new look at it. I need, new, I need a new perspective to convince me to go see Argyle. Yeah, I'm going to go through the rest of my list really quick here. Uh, again, films we're not looking forward to. Inside Out 2, uh, Pixar's follow-up to 2013's Inside Out. I love that first movie. I don't think they're going to really be able to recreate that magic, and it's going to be real derivative. Deadpool 3, which might have a lot of internet buzz, but I I feel this is just going to be like cameo after cameo after, hey, guys, remember this from your childhood? Um, Not really looking forward. The only uh, MCU movie or Marvel movie coming out this year, The Karate Kid uh, 2024, being reinvented for the fourth time, which will star both uh, Jackie Chan and uh, I almost said Daniel ralph macchio as daniel russo it's kind of the uh the multiverse the avengers of the karate kid universe and uh mufasa the lion king which is a prequel to the live action lion king coming out in uh december uh i couldn't stand the the live action lion king and uh this maybe this will make a lot of money maybe people are tired of it uh we don't really know but uh those are the things i'm not looking forward to my list isn't too far off from Andy's. Uh, not looking forward to Mufasa, Ghostbusters, The Frozen Empire. Could care less about Deadpool 3. No way. Other more cynical choices would be things like Alex Garland's Civil War. Man, I was pretty warm on Garland, but men really didn't do it for me. That movie gets real weird. And Civil War just looks really, I don't know. What's the term? Woke? Uh, it's not woke. N- not, it's, uh, yeah, like it's just not compelling. Not, like, yeah. It's not compelling. Uh, the Garfield movie, I think, looks fine. You know, like, okay, that, that movie will make its money with the kids. Like, it'll probably do really well. I'm not stoked on new Planet of the Apes. I... I I don't know. I, I, I haven't been warm on apes for a long time. I know those new ones are supposed to be real <laughs> good. Uh, I don't know, man. I never... I don't know. Never, never got on the apes train. Uh, and then Craven the Hunter couldn't care less. Uh, the untitled Venom threequel, we'll see. Uh, and Red One, which is uh, a straight to Netflix December holiday film coming out in 2024, starring Dwayne Johnson and Chris Evans as I don't know Santa's helpers or something. Just like that sounds a whole oh, lot gosh. like Red Notice, which like I know was a miss. Just sounds like film by algorithm. Not stoked. Uh, long list. Lots to get through. Yeah. I think we moved through it all right. Well, reflections on 2024. Andy, what do you think? Well, I'll say from your list, the only one I would disagree there that I am looking forward to is a Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. The uh, previous trilogy is really solid, so I'm I'm that'll be interesting to see where that comes from. That does come out the same day as, as Furiosa, though, so I'm definitely going to be seeing Furiosa first. I think, like any year, we have a lot of things to look forward to. We have a lot of like franchise and sequel things that are going to be kind of derivative. Some of them will hit, some of them will will miss. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, because that's one thing in this business you can never tell. You can hit all the Matrix and, and uh, do all the uh the research and um and have a bomb and then you can have something that looks like it's going to be a big failure and it it knocks that out of the water so you never know i know andy's right you never do know you never there's never a good way to keep up with what exactly is going on at the movies unless 
you subscribe to Oscar Film Review. Fingers on the pulse of cinema on this podcast. We never miss. Never miss. Never miss. You can, you can check. Go back. Listen. 238 episodes. Have never missed. Episode 239. Still not missing. With that, we got to move into our other reviews. Oh, my God. It's going to be the longest episode we've ever done in our lives. Not a miss. That's a W. Uh, this is going to be the review for The Color Purple. Andy's going to take the summary for it. Uh, Andy, please uh, take it away. The Color Purple. So this is the new uh, film musical, which is based on uh, a lot of properties, actually. This starts in 1982. The original novel by Alice Walker was turned into, uh, adapted to film in 1985 by none other than Steven Spielberg and starred Whoopi Goldberg in the titular role um, that was then reimagined in 2005 as a stage musical. Uh, starring uh, Fantasia Burino, who is in this movie. And then now we get the film musical version of this. So this has been a long time uh, coming uh, to where we are now. Uh, the story deals with sisters Celie and Nettie, um, who are growing up in the early 1900s, uh, deep south in, in Georgia. Uh, they live in a very abusive uh, home. Celie, who's the main character, is uh, sold to Mr. played by uh, Coleman D Domingo as she's sold to him as his wife. He has these this disgusting house, these three unruly kids, and she sold to him as a teenager. And uh, she gets there and he's like, you need to cook, you need to clean, you need to bathe these kids, you need to walk after them, you need to clean my house. It's an incredibly abusive situation. Uh, this is a very heavy film and uh, property like the original novel it deals with very he heavy subjects matter uh she she is subjected to uh domestic violence sexual assault other just uh general racism uh, of the time and while this starts very bleak um Celie over over the course of several decades uh begins to meet other other people who live differently who don't put up with the abuse and she learns to love herself to overcome the situation that she has started out in and uh we, this is told through the medium of song and dance uh we we have incredible song and dance numbers through different parts of the movie this has an incredible cast including fantasia barino taraji p henson daniel brooks coleman domingo corey hawkins hallie bailey ciara her david allen greer uh lewis gossett jr bon john batiste i mean it, it's it's a who's who of uh uh black cast members and it's incredible and it's also very difficult uh property lots to talk about zach what do you think so I, I like the color purple. I, I think the color purple is a pretty good adaptation, but I think, hear me out. I think this movie suffers from being an adaptation of an adaptation of an adaptation. It's like one step right. too far. And I think the place that it suffers the most uniquely is in its director, Blitz Bazawule. Uh, Blitz is not a newcomer uh, to the space. He's done a few features, but this will be the first time you've seen anything from his like in a theater. Uh, you probably can't name any other features he's done off the top of his head, but I know he worked with Beyonce on a lot of her work. And so when Spielberg and Oprah were looking to produce a new adaptation of The Color Purple based on the play, they found him. Spielberg said, I didn't think there's anybody else to do it. He also has some musical work of his own. They thought he was perfect for it. And I totally see that. But I think some of the camera work is just a little basic. 
in a story that is so nuanced and is so full and spans decades that I was not familiar with. I had not seen the movie. I've not read the book. I haven't seen the play. This is my first swing at the color purple. So I do want to talk about that. I think in with a text so rich, I wish they had had a bit more finesse on the control. Uh, tragically, I did see Spielberg's West Side Story. I well, Let me phrase that. I'm glad I saw West Side Story. What I'm about to say is, tragically, I saw Spielberg's name attached to this as a producer. I thought it'd have a bit more flash. I thought it'd have a bit more pizzazz. And those come out in the trailer. You see a lot of those shots. But when you actually watch the film, it ends up with a lot of long take stuff where our actors are doing big play scenes, which are tremendous, but simple and sometimes understated. And I wanted it to just reach a little higher. I want to talk about what I like, though, because I think the story of what's here, like, the, the again, the text of Color Purple, brilliant. No notes, dude. It, this movie's really rad. Just the way it's put together is a little odd. Yeah. So w- one of my big issues is I, I think I don't like this as a musical. Like, I was much more interested when people weren't doing the song and dance. Uh, I did appreciate the dance part of it. Like, the, the, the dancing and the dance numbers and the music to that is fine. But a lot of the songs are just... They're not that memorable. Like they're not. Right. They're fine. Sing the they're theme to the not color very purple. Good. <laughs> yeah, they're not. You're not going to walk away humming uh, the no. songs and and the themes. But also, this is rated PG-13. The 1985 version, uh, Steven Spielberg's version, was also rated PG-13. That was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, one zero. Um, this book, the book is. I mean, this should be to be done right. This needs to be rated R. It's it's a very heavy heavy book deals with heavy subject matter and that's one of the things that's difficult for me is we would have these really jarring tonal shifts you would have like again uh indications of sexual assault and then a song and dance number then you would have domestic violence song and dance number uh terrible racism song and dance number and it's like it's just jarring to to deal with and um it kind of has the kid gloves on it it it, it feels very disney disney and, and it works yes. as as a family film uh that you would take your your parents to see and it it just kind of pulls a, a lot of punches and it doesn't get in kind of the seriousness and one of the the biggest tragedies is uh one of Celie's kind of coming of age moments is that she's a, she's a lesbian she is gay and they really sweep that under the rug in this movie they they hint at it uh but to the point uh that it's kind of confusing some people because she she develops uh a love for another woman named uh, Avery. Shuga oh, Avery Shug's coming by. to town baby yeah yeah and that all that is much more explicit in in the book and that's a big part of her learning to love her herself and have new outlooks on on intimacy and relationships and it's just it's kind of swept under the rug it's played very like i said the kid gloves are on it's just lots of things by insinuation their relationship is not very explicit uh i think that's a big failure uh, of the movie personally and that and it's been something that that has been a controversial part of this property since its inception and adaptation in 1985. So I'm a bit in the opposite camp. I agree a hundred percent. I actually have a really good example of Disneyfication of this because I thought the same thing when I was watching it. I think the sugar helps the medicine go down. I think the kids gloves is good because the story is so brutal. I kept thinking, because I, I didn't know anything about this. I, I just walked into the movie thinking, I know it's about two sisters who I think get separated and go their separate ways and and try to find 
each, the, the way back to each other, right? That's kind of all I knew about the story. And then I get in there and it keeps doing this thing where like something horrific will happen on screen. Coleman Domingo will punch Fantasia, Fantasia Barino in the face and it'll be like eight years later and it'll just cut to like, a, you know, and then not nine years later, five years after this, like it'll just cut from like these horrific situations to like, and then a decade goes by and it's like any other movie would have stopped right there. We got, we got to deal with domestic abuse. We have to deal with this problem, that problem. Color Purple doesn't have the time because it is a world full of problems. And I think like in that way, it's theme of seeing the beauty in like the, the, the tragedy, right? Being able to see brightness in dark moments, being able to appreciate the color purple of a flower, right? Like, or even the color purple of like a bruise. Like, I think that's really, really valid. And I think part of the way the movie gets away with this trick and makes it work for maybe younger audiences, PG-13, like you said, this probably should have, it's R-rated content, but like wrapped in a softer realm is this idea of like Disneyfication. And, and, and it's not Disney per se, but I wanted to point to a very specific character, Coleman Domingo as Mr. He is such an asshole in this movie, dude. He has <laughs> to be, he is a wife beater. He is a dude, all, all the problems. He is a bad, bad dude. But Coleman Domingo, who's excellent in this role, excellent, along with Danielle Brooks, incredible. Both of them incredible performances. Nuts. Super good. He's played like Captain Hook. He's played like a Disney villain. Like he's like goofy in his moments and he'll like have pratfalls and he's like drinking and somebody wakes him up. Oh, what, what? Like he's like this goofy dude. And then when he like smacks Fantasia, it's really bad. But then when she confronts him, he completely gives her the space to do it. I kept waiting for him to stand up and flip a table. I kept waiting for him to stand up and punch her in the mouth. Nope, doesn't do it. Nope, he, 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 he like gives her the moment and it's like, that doesn't really work for that dude. But this guy also has his father, who's a bad dude, and he's got a son, uh, played by Corey Hawkins, Harpo, who's great, uh, who, who thinks this of him. And, and he ends up being this character who's tragic in his own way. He used to be an artist, and he wanted to be a, a free spirit. He plays music, and all that's been squashed down. And he ends up being a guy who has character at the end of the film in his own way. But they 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 they... They, they, they sugarcoat him, kind of. You sugarcoated a wife beater. And it kind of works for the movie, but like it doesn't, um, it, it just doesn't, it just, it just feels weird. I can't remember the last time I watched a movie feeling this way about a character. I was like, this guy is not somebody I should like or care about. Um, but they make him, the play makes him, I think, a pivotal point because Palat more palatable that in the book. For sure. yeah it's it's this like third adaptation problem like it's been passed down through enough hands and passed through enough audiences that this is like the most palatable version of this horrific dude and the movie has to do that but i don't think it's bad like i, I do think it's good and i think it makes it unique like i didn't mind it but boy it's interesting i wanted to talk about our our cast um fantasia barino who first found fame through she uh, she was like the third winner of american idol uh and she has played this role on broadway uh for many years so she's the perfect cast for this um and, and in in addition to having a, a fantastic voice she has to do major major acting i was really impressed uh, with her in this lead role because there is almost it's probably about 50 50 uh, of as far as song and dance versus just uh regular acting and she does just so much with her face like she is such a scared person rightly so in the first half of the movie and you you see when she as she starts to change in a character 
it's in her mannerisms, how she carries herself. And it's a, it's incredible uh, performance. Um, Taraji P. Henson's a, a standout as the uh, jazz singer, Suge Avery, and who uh, Celie ha has a, a relationship. Um, Danielle Brooks, uh, who I've, I had heard a lot about before even seeing this uh, as a character, Sophia, who's, again, one of these women who is, uh, isn't going to put up with domestic abuse and isn't going to put up with several things, and it kind of inspires change in, in Celia. Coleman Domingo, of course, as the terrible uh, mister. Um, I mean, you're going to hate this guy. I mean, really play, plays the villain and incredibly well it makes you hate this character so much and again a huge other cast but those are the kind of the standouts yeah like fantastic cast all around uh, again big dance numbers great sets uh, as far as this like little trio of musicals i've been rounding up at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of this year and the end of last year wonka uh, uh color purple and uh mean girls obviously we haven't seen mean girls uh, we'll be catching that soon uh but uh, i i think I think I end up feeling like if I had to catch one of these on TV and watch them, I'd end up watching Wonka over this movie. But I really do like The Color Purple. Like, I think it's a great adaptation. I need to go back and watch the Spielberg version. And I just one more thing I wanted to reiterate before we move uh, to recommendations Re regarding what I said at the open about our director, Blitz Bazawuli. It's He's not a bad job. Just like if you watch this movie after listening to this review, like just keep an eye out for like real long pans and real slow zooms and real slow zoom outs and real slow pan left and real slow dolly right. Like just a lot of really steady, safe camera work. And I think it's because A, it's an adaptation of a play. You want people kind of staged for their marks. But B, I don't know. I don't think he got as much expression on this as maybe he wanted. I don't know if Amblin was like, hey, you need to you know, keep it, keep it safe. You're, you're adapting the color purple for God's sake. I, I know he's talked about in interviews, how big of a legacy it is and how important it is. I wish I had seen a bit more flair. And again, this is me coming off of West side story. Like I really was like, or even Paul King's Wonka, right? Like Paddington director, Paul King gets real creative with the camera. This one felt safe. And I think safe is okay because the text does 99% of the work. Actors are great. I like the color purple a lot. Any other thoughts for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend The Color Purple? I would. Despite my, you know, some of the issues I have with it, um, it, it is, a, I think, probably a very important movie and property for people to be familiar familiar with. The song and dance numbers are really impressive. Uh, the story is, is painful and tear-jerking, but also uplifting in the end. Incredible cast and performances. Uh, some of the best of the year, for sure. This might have made it to the top 10 had it come out uh, early enough. Um, so... And again, some content war warning deals with some really heavy uh, material, but overall recommend. Yeah, same. Color purple's red. Would would recommend. Lots of fun. Uh, try to catch it in a theater if you can. Um, and try to get to a good screen if you can, by the way. I saw this at like a big megaplex at a local mall, and they had us in like a crappy side screen with like a stain on the corner. No fun, dude. Go see it loud. Go see it big. Like, I think that's where you're going to have your best experience watching this. I think it'll be, it won't be the same watching it on a phone. Color Purple Solid, though. Would recommend. Lots of fun. Um, I hope they keep it. I hope they keep making good adaptations like this. Like I said, I think I think Amblin is in a good place to do things like this. Obviously, Spielberg likes uh, a good musical every now and again. Of course, an adaptation of previous work like solid. I like Color Purple. One more film we got to talk about before the end of the episode. My God, we're going on record time here, Andy. But this one's a mini review. Thank God, because only one of us has seen it. So I'm going to grill you on all things. Uh, you know, the sea, and Andy's going to share with us his thoughts on. Uh, 
this next movie. Andy, what are we watching? Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Um, so I'll start off by saying I did really like the first Aquaman film. It's kind of like Game of, Th- Game of Thrones underwater. There's all these things about like, you're the king of Atlantis. No, I don't want to be the king. You have to be the king. You have to unite the kingdoms. Uh, it works. And lots of underwater CGI battles. Huge, huge success for Warner Brothers in DC. Over a billion dollars movie. Um, I'll start off by saying this movie is terrible. The next one, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. The plot is incredibly complicated and convoluted. Uh, it deals with Black Manta, the uh, villain from the first movie, has acquired the Black Trident, which uh, kind of gives him power, and he's going to take over the world. And it does some real on-the-nose uh, storytelling with... Um, they, he gets the black trident and uh, then he it tells him to like get this secret uh fuel and when he burns the fuel it heats up the planet and that's and it's like okay we get that it's a climate change allegory but it's just so on the nose it's really embarrassing uh it's also kind of just a rip off of lord of the rings uh the trident kind of possesses whoever touches it several other people touch it and uh, they're possessed and it's a little bit like the one ring and uh you got to kind of destroy it in the in the end <laughs> to get away from everything the plot is r- nonsensical it's really hard to follow uh there's a million vfx shots it's like they saw that everyone liked that from the first movie and just decided to turn it up to 11 amber heard is in this a lot more than i thought she would because she was not asked to do any marketing uh but she's in like two-thirds of the film uh it's fine the last act the last like big battle scene uh is fine but it's just like man this is so bad and i'm glad that james gunn and dc are taking over so a bit of a runtime, two hours, four minutes, which I think is shorter than the previous Aquaman, right? Like by just a little bit. Um, is the pacing real rough? I mean, do you feel like you're tuned in the whole time? Uh, is there, Are you getting up and going to the bathroom? Like how, how, how checked out of this movie are you or checked in really? I mean, it's rough. It, it, you know, in the flash, how it's kind of boring in the first third with uh, the Barry on Barry kind of hijinks. We get a lot of that. Uh, one of the plot points is that Aquaman has to te- team up with uh, Ocean Master from the first uh, film played by Patrick Wilson. And uh, of course, he's in like desert prison, so he has to go rescue him. So there's a, a, essentially a side quest for the first half of the movie before things really get going. And uh, it tries to be a buddy, kind of a, like a buddy cop comedy. Um Patrick Wilson, super serious, and I have to get back and return the throne, and uh, Jason Momoa is doing his bohemian thing, which, by the way, he's not in costume a lot of the movie, and he looks like he just showed up. It didn't go to wardrobe, just war- just walked on with whatever he wears because he dresses so bohemian, like, as a default. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure he gets a lot of input into the character. I think he helped produce the script for it, um, so that, that would make sense, but... Uh, similar to like fast, fast X, right? Like it seemed like Jason Momoa just showed up and whatever he was wearing that day. And that's, that's what we're filming. I want to talk about practical effects. Like I, I know a lot of the film is easy to write off as CGI, big blockbuster. What practical sure. effects? Well, there's also a lot of stuff like them in rain, or I, I know they were doing a lot of filming in water tanks and developed this like camera rig system that they were working with. Like, does that stuff feel apparent when you're watching it? Do you feel the movie magic or is it just like, I don't know, shameless comic? Oh, not at all. Okay. Not at all. It looks like you're on screen all the time. And, and again, they know that people like the big action sequences in the first film. And so it seems like they just tried to have an act, a CGI action sequence every five minutes. Uh, and it just kind of got uh, overwhelming. Again, you didn't have enough time to develop personalities and, and plot and, and story. Uh, Randall Park is, is randomly in this, essentially playing the same character he does in the MCU films, kind of just like this uh, goofball scientist um, that works for, for Black Manta. 
really biz- bizarre role role for him. It, it completely doesn't work. Nicole Kidman is back. I was going to say, I, I think this is the Brief second role. sequel Nicole Kidman's ever done, which is crazy. Mm. Yeah, must have yeah given her boatloads uh, of money. Like I said, the plot is completely nonsensical and also overcomplicated because it does have that that like Game of Thrones like real complicated like these families and these places and these relics and items and you know th- there's his the history of Atlantis, all this kind of background stuff. Like I said, it kind of pulls together in the last big sequence, like the last big fight at the end is kind of cool, yeah. but man, like getting there is pain painful aquaman also has a son now and that's a big plot point because his son is kidnapped by black manta to uh because he needs a uh, blood oh, of the air something like yeah, that yeah this is sound too i mean it's, it's, funny it's when like you were yeah it's every fantasy trope you've ever heard underwater right it was funny when you were describing the plot you said it's too complicated black manta gets this trident and it's possessed people but then he's got to get this fuel to do this and i was like oh god yeah just the trident was enough like that was the money you could have just stopped there he's got an evil thing and it possesses you whatever like boy we go all the way around the bend but they want it to feel big and epic and in that way i want to know it's a bit of a dceu send-off right a little bit like uh dc cinematic unit dcu cinematic universe i'm not even sure what they call it anymore like how does it feel in that way? Does this feel like a big boisterous something? Does it feel like the Flash and Batman did, or is it its own beast? James Wan's assumedly last DC movie, right? Like, how's that? I mean, it. I mean, it's bad. Like, it, it. This is worse than the Flash easily. Like, I don't want to watch the Flash again, but I would watch the Flash again before watching this. Like, it's just it's painful. And and the first Aquaman, it had some good good moments. There's, uh, you know, part of the w- when we're creating the villain in that first movie, he uh he kind of leaves Aquaman and his dad to to die, and and he says, "You killed an innocent people. You ask the sea for mercy." And I was like, "Oh, that's a, that's actually a great line." Uh, and we have some mo- moments in that, and it oh man, it's so derivative. It's so just like filmed by committee and filmed by executives in suits is what it feels like. And it's, I want to know if any of and it looks pretty expensive. I want to know. Yeah. What, what talent do you think is getting burned by this? Like, as far as I know, James Wan probably isn't doing any more DC movies. Uh, maybe he will pen something with James Gunn, but it seems like Jason Momoa is probably going to be pivoting out of Aquaman into possibly another character they have. I heard Patrick Wilson was good, but I want to know about our boy. Yaya Abdul Mateen, the second Amber Heard, Nicole Kidman. Um, where are they at? And are they doing any more movies? Are they Hollywood washouts? Like, what's what's? Is this not I mean, going to touch them? Yeah, I am a, yeah, I am a teen. Uh, I, I think is going to keep doing so, some really good stuff. He's a really popular actor right now. Amber Heard does not have anything on the upcoming slate, and she essentially hasn't done anything besides the superhero stuff she was already contractually obligated to do since the very public trials uh, involving her and Johnny Depp. So, uh, I mean, she's got nothing coming up. Nicole Kidman's fine. Um, I don't think I don't think her and a lot of other people are, were actually on set for a lot of stuff. There's a whole lot of, like, pasting their, their faces on a stunt double's body or some other hapless oh, uh, a- actor's body. Like, it, it looks bad a lot of times. It reminds me of uh, Michael Douglas and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Like, there are literal scenes where it's like, he's not even there, dude. Like, his character will be turned away the whole scene. I'm like, that's not even him. That's a stunt double, you know? Like, just just getting the paycheck, right? Just Nicole Kidman knocking it out. Well, a bit of a bummer to hear about, I think, especially because you were a fan of the first one. I know it did pretty well. Um, Performance-wise, how do we think this one is doing versus the previous one? I mean, is it a... What do you think? A long, slow death? I mean, 
Uh, no, it, it's a it's a bomb out of the gate. I mean, they're saying it's it's done a little bit better than the Marvels, which was also a bomb. But again, this was a billion dollar property five years ago, and you waited so long to put out your sequel that uh, the superhero craze is is kind of over in a lot of ways. Mm. I guess before we wrap it up, a silly question, but I'm curious since we've been posting these reviews on uh, YouTube, but you know, no, very few people watch to the end, but uh, often when somebody disagrees with what we say, they hit the comments quickly. I got to know, Andy, uh, for those who maybe heard the first few minutes of this and heard you say it was terrible and immediately scrolled down to say you're wrong. Uh, any closing <laughs> thoughts just for them, I guess? Like, what do you think? Are, like, should they watch the movie again? Are you crazy? Where are you at? It's a kind of thing where you go to YouTube and just ask for the highlights. Say, you know, search for Aquaman 2 Final Battle, and that's all you need to need to watch. Uh, the performances are fine. Just the story's all over the place. Uh, they're spending way too much money on SFX. Uh, it doesn't work. It looks a lot of it looks bad. It's just long and boring. Um, but yeah, just just watch the action sequences on YouTube when it comes out. Andy, would you recommend Aquaman 2? No, hard pass, the hardest of passes. Don't watch it on streaming. Don't 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 pay. Don't be like me and be a sucker and pay to go see it. Um definitely skip it. Oh my gosh. Might be on the worst of the year list at this rate. My God. Sounds like a rough start. Well, bit of a bit of a flash in the pan ending for the DCEU, but obviously they've got more coming. James Gunn's working hard. Keep it on off script for more. And that wraps the show. My God. I knew this was going to be a long one, but I thought we could move through it, and I was wrong, but that's okay. Andy, what are we watching next week? So we're taking the week off because I'm traveling, but we'll be back on January 23rd with reviews for Mean Girls, uh, the new film musical starring Renee Rapp, and uh, The Book of Clarence, which is the satirical, biblical comedy starring our man Lakeith Stanfield uh, by Boots Riley, I believe uh definitely looking forward to that those are both theatrical releases and then uh just some fyi releases things coming out in theaters uh jason Statham's the beekeeper comes out uh this friday january 12th uh iss the uh sci-fi space station drama uh film uh comes out january 19th and then uh i just wanted to point out a uh, society of the snow which uh, is already out on netflix and this is a drama about the uh uh chilean soccer team crash which occurred in the 70s uh very that, that has been that story has been told many times uh, but i've heard it's very uh incredible telling uh by j.a bayona um and that's on netflix now but for, we'll be back on the 23rd with mean girls and the book of clarence very excited for mean girls book of clarence i wish was a boots riley feature it's by director james samuel uh boots riley is working on something that's what new, it was though. Yeah, and I'm a, I was a big fan of Sorry to Bother You, also starring Lakeith Stanfield. Similar tone, like I think Lakeith's probably the perfect pick for whatever that movie's supposed to be. Excited to see it. And, you know, taking next week off makes me feel a little better about running long this week. Give give folks a little bonus since they're going to have a dry week next week. But if you like off-script film review, if you enjoyed episode 239, if you liked our thoughts on Ferrari, maybe disagreed with the color purple, hot takes on Aquaman, however you feel, the best way to get a hold of us is to follow us at offscriptfilmreview.com on any any of these social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or on YouTube. Big things happening 
on the YouTube page. Go check out Offscript on YouTube. I'm telling you, magic is happening over there. You got to check it out. We're on all the usual podcast outlets, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Google Play, Google Podcasts, YouTube Podcasts. We're in all those places. You might be listening to us on Deezer or CastBox, wherever you're finding us. Do us a solid. Leave us a rating and review while you're at it. Or at least hit that sub button. You keep coming back every week. You know you've been thinking about it. Now's the time. It's 2024. You're a new person. Subscribe to Offscript Film Review. Movies are expensive. Podcasts are cheap. We'll keep doing this podcast for you if you just keep listening to us. And that's the deal. That's Offscript Film Review, episode 239. Boy, oh boy. Uh, you can find us on our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. And as always, you can email us correspondence directly at mail at From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.